Oh, Humphrey, I've decided to respond to all this criticism about a scandal in the city. The press is demanding action. What are you proposing to do? I shall appoint someone. And when did you take this momentous decision? Today, when I read the papers. But when did you first think of it? Today, when I read the papers. <laughs> and for how long, may I ask, did you weigh the pros and cons of this decision? Not long. I decided to be decisive. Uh, Prime Minister, if I may say, I think you worry too much about what the papers say. <laughs> Only a civil servant could have made that remark, Bernard. <laughs> I have to worry about them, particularly with the party conference coming up. These rumours of a scandal just won't go away, you know. That was an episode of the BBC's Yes, Prime Minister in which the influence of the UK's national newspapers was discussed. In 1999, a new newspaper brand tried to challenge the dominance of the leading titles. Many had tried and failed to do this in the past, and many have since too. But the Metro not only survived, but today it's the best-read newspaper in the UK. I'm Graham Ruddick, and this is Business Leader, a podcast that takes a second look at big business stories and asks, did these stories really happen the way we think they did? And what can we learn from them today? In this episode, we look at the story behind the Metro newspaper, one of very few successful launches in the recent history of the UK media industry. Metro was launched by Daily Mail and General Trust in 1999 as a free newspaper aimed at commuters in the UK. The launch was one of the first moves that Lord Rothermere, Jonathan Harmsworth, made after succeeding his father as boss of DMGT. But how did this upstart brand grow and how has it survived a series of big challenges? Deborah Arthurs, the editor-in-chief of Metro and first Richard Thompson, the managing director, take up the story. He and his team at the time identified a really valuable audience, really captive audience in the commuter network, which were largely non-readers of traditional paid-for newspapers. So the launch was highly unlikely to cannibalise the sale of uh, the paid-for elements of uh, DMGT's portfolio at the time. And what that launch established was a really attractive advertising business because the telcos of this world uh, were largely not advertising in traditional print newspapers, uh, but realised with the advent of Metro that they could reach highly valuable audience, highly valuable commuting audience with time on their hands in the mornings, thinking about their day ahead, their weeks ahead, they plan, they organise themselves in that moment. And therefore, it was almost a marriage made in heaven, the, the value of the audience uh, and advertisers wanting to reach it. And that's essentially what made Metro, the overnight success story that it was. And where is it today in terms of numbers and size and scale? So at its peak, Metro's circulation was just over 1.4 million in 2018. Now our circulation is a million copies. Frankly, uh, 1.4 million in today's uh, market is bigger than it needed to be because it far surpasses the circulation of any other weekday newspaper who are all national, obviously, by their uh, by their nature. We're not quite national, but we obviously serve all the major um, cities in the UK. So we're, we're comfortable with our million copies that we distribute Monday to Friday, and, and that makes us the largest circulating weekday newspaper. And how many people 
are engaging and, and reading your content because it, it, it's obviously the, the paper circulation, but online, mm. and then you have this unique factor with the Metro that more than one person can read each edition. Yeah, ahead of our relaunch um, in March earlier this year, we commissioned some new research and that gave our printed platform a readership of around two and a half readers per copy. And then we regard our online reach to be a further two and a half million daily browsers. So in total, we regard our audience to be five million a day. Yeah, and I would say that's a very, it's a sort of it's a conservative estimate. So, so when we look, when we wanted to put that number on the masthead, we looked at the number of people that are picking up the paper according to the survey, uh, which actually I think came back at, they said five people were reading every copy, but we went for a much more conservative number of 2.5 people per copy. And then further 2.5 million online is actually supplemented with third party platforms or our social audience, our social video audience, which doesn't actually feed into that number. So that 5 million is just the people that read it in print and on the site, the actual audience is much, much bigger. In recent years, Metro has faced a series of challenges that on their own could have been existential. This includes the COVID-19 pandemic, rail and bus strikes, the cost of living crisis, and a general slump in the advertising market. The rise in working from home has posed a particular problem for Metro because commuters are a key audience for the newspaper. Mid. March, uh, COVID really hit us and the lockdown's begun and our advertising revenues literally fell off a cliff Uh, and it was instant and overnight because nobody was commuting by and large and advertisers had no reason to invest in marketing to reach the audiences that we'd previously served them so well over many years. It's not an exaggeration to say that Metro faced an existential crisis as COVID really started to bite. But, you know, we could have shut up shop stopped publishing throughout that period, but we didn't. We massively reduced the distribution number because, you know, there were still people traveling and commuting, particularly in sectors like the NHS. And we wanted to continue providing a brand of journalism to an audience that was still in demand. Sadly, at the time, advertisers didn't follow. (laughs) So we brought our cost base down as much as physically possible during that period and, and just weathered out the storm. The, the company chose to continue to support and back Metro strongly in the belief that there would be better times ahead. Um, and thankfully, uh, we, we're now in a period that we can genuinely consider to be uh, placing the product back on a sustainable footing. The challenge that we had is when the lockdown has begun to ease, convincing advertisers that people were back commuting. And that was a big challenge. And that's taken us probably a good couple of years to overcome. But I think now with the quality of the data, the quality of our storytelling in talking to agencies and clients, we've begun to overcome that challenge. Are you still facing that challenge now? Because obviously when we yeah. spoke, yeah. we, we, spoke we still, Friday. We I mean, still have advertisers that don't want to advertise with us on a Friday because of their preconceptions about nobody commuting on a Friday. Yet we get data from our train, bus uh, and underground partners, which show a quite different story. If you look at the number of people that tap in and out of underground environments on a Friday, it's not that different to Monday to Thursday. And actually, interestingly, and I love this fact, it, it just more metros are picked up on a Friday than any other day of the week. So it's actually the biggest day for print. Why is that? Is because, that... Uh, because we leave the product 
in the bins across the weekend. And not only that, but as Richard said, lots of people are travelling, they're out and about, they might not be, they may not all be going to the office, but they're out and about, they're going to maybe an office working space, or they're going to the gym, they're going to visit friends, or they're going out. So maybe the, the busy time might happen slightly later in the day, but it still happens. In fact, if you look at the stations on a Friday, it's mayhem, you know, people are out and about and they're still picking up the paper. And when you said it was existential, I mean, was there conversations of, you know, we're not sure we can carry on doing this? I'm not aware of any conversations taking place along those lines. Um, they may have done, but in the time I've been involved with Metro, I'm not. I'm certainly not aware that that was ever a serious consideration that we would not continue doing what we were doing. Certainly, from an editorial perspective, you know, it, it almost galvanised the newsroom. You know, one of the biggest news events we'd ever encountered. You know, it, it's an unthinkable event, isn't it? It's global pandemic. In the newsroom, the, the feeling was very much, we need to keep delivering the news to the people. And I think there, you know, there are hundreds of thousands of key workers, people going into the city every day or people traveling to their jobs who we felt needed or deserved to, to still be getting the information that they wanted. From a newsroom perspective, it was, it was, there was no question we wanted to keep publishing. Amid these shorter term challenges, Metro has also had to deal with a fundamental shift in how people consume the news since it launched in 1999. Online news and social media have grown rapidly, posing big questions for the publishers of print products. When we began the project last October to try and think about how we could re-engineer the operating model for Metro, one of the things that we identified was there was some collaboration between print and digital, but there were largely two separate editorial teams. So if you look at the pagination of Metro, if you look at the number of stories that you need to actually populate the newspaper in order for it to be the vehicle that it is today, um, we sat there and thought, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that there is sufficient content within our business to, to reverse publish uh, from The Wires, from Metro.co.uk, any of the other news brands within the organisation, back into Metro in order to produce the newspaper at a much lower cost base. So most of the newspaper structure is now uh, sub-editors, and most of the content comes from Metro.co.uk, some from Mail Online, some from The Wires, uh, a little bit of proprietary content around around features, and that was you know that was a really successful reorganisation of the teams. Sadly, with anything like this, it resulted in the loss of some great colleagues and really good journalists. But it was one of the key uh, facets, if you like, in the long list of initiatives that we executed earlier this uh, year in order to put the business on a better financial footing. Deborah can um, yeah. talk more about the kind of how it happens on a day-to-day -day basis now that structure's in place. Yeah, it just made a lot of sense. So um, we had two teams. There was a lot of duplication of efforts. So now we have a fantastic news team that's creating content that works for both online and print. We have a digital conference in the morning that the print team now come to. We have a quick run-through with print where we decide what's going to go in the paper. And then the print subs and the brilliant editor, Chris Cowley, he can take from the online content from whatever desk suits that day. So whether it's the news pages, the Guilty Pleasures Entertainment page or the sport pages. And then we have a, a dedicated features team who will be creating the sort of features that we identified had the most commercial appeal. So, and that the readers really loved. So we've got property, money, you know, travel. We've got an award-winning travel section, actually. It's won the Travel Media Award three years in a row. So we didn't want to lose any of that. And there were sections as well that we identified that online we just didn't have the content to fill the paper. So things like 
for instance, the travel, the, the, the variety of travel stories, potentially a variety of sports. So we tend to focus more online on football because we know that does so well for our readership online. But in print, you just need that balance of rugby, athletics, cricket, tennis. So we have uh, dedicated features and some sports teams who are creating content bespoke for the paper. What do you both see as the future of print? Because clearly there's been that transition. This organisation is not alone in that. There's, there's a lot of organisations pivoting, transitioning. Do you think print has a future or ultimately do you foresee that there will have to be a decision in the not too distant future that someone, maybe Metro, stops their print product? Pivoting is one of my least favourite words in, <laughs> in, in journalism, actually. And I think we've seen so many organisations who have pivoted, you know, whether it's losing all their journalists to just recruit video producers and then realising that actually creating original video is very expensive and very difficult. And then the platform that you are distributing on suddenly changes its algorithm and where, you know, you're left with nothing except a very expensive studio. Um, so rather than pivoting, I think in this group, we've always been very good at, you know, identifying successful areas and then using strategic investment to sort of build around it. So whether that's, you know, expanding our digital business while shoring up our print business, investing in a social video team to tell a story that we're also telling in print and on site. I think it's less about pivoting and more about appreciating the value of every part of the group, of, of the brand, which gives you this really powerful 360 product, 360 approach. So some people still love reading the paper every day, don't they? They like picking it up, they like having it in their hands. And that's not just readers, it's it's advertisers too. Some of them really value um print well they still lots of them still really value print advertising some people like to read many people like to read news stories on their phone and an increasing number like to digest it in 30 second videos the challenge really is trying to serve them all within this team and that's what we're doing i mean i'm optimistic that because of metro's unique dynamics that it has a future in print for many years to come and the reason why i say that is because of the nature of its distribution, the fact that it's free, the fact that there's a target audience that's still engaging it uh, in their millions from what we've already told you about its readership. And if you think about the percentage of the people that come in and out of the networks that we distribute into, our million copies is a fairly small proportion. So what this company is is famous for is investing in great journalism, great content, great products, regardless of the platform. So there's every possibility that we can continue to appeal to the audience that's available to us in the areas that we distribute. So no plans to get rid of any print products. Do do you think other organisations will? Do you foresee the market changing? Uh, Yes. I mean, it's difficult to see how some print products with with cover prices on them will exist in five years' time. I mean, Um, some, some already have. You know, the magazine industry particularly has moved to a digital publishing model, hasn't it? Although, interestingly, some of them are now moving back to a quarterly or a annual print products. I think everyone's now recognising there is value in print and people do love the sort of the different feeling of, of consuming something at a slower, slower pace. And we've got, you know, if you if you look at the, 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 the data that's in the public domain, paid for newspapers are, are losing circulation, anything between five and 20 percent year on year. Providing Metro sufficiently invested in by our, our clients, uh, agencies, we can remain flat. Our circulation can be consistent at a million copies <coughs> forevermore, frankly. Mm. And therefore, as a paid-for newspaper's audiences get smaller, 
the proportion, because of the diverse nature of Metro's readership, the proportion of it that's AB or BC1 or C to DE, we can effectively cater for all brands because of the size of our audiences within each of those within each of those demographics. How do you grow your audience in this market? What are the levers that you're trying to pull to get new people to read Metro either in print or online? Yes, so we've just had some investment. Um, it's very exciting. And what we've decided to do is to reorganise the newsroom somewhat. So page views has always been obviously the biggest revenue driver. And it's very important to us to maintain that the growth in that area. But you know uh, what it's like in the, in, the, in the digital industry right now. Things are changing fast. So Google, there's a lot of volatility around Google, which was once one of our biggest referrers. Facebook, which was our other largest referrer, is constantly changing. Now it's meta, obviously. Um, but only earlier this year, it changed the way that it delivers content to the user. So it used to have instant articles. I'm sure you, you've used them yourself that when you see a brand on Facebook and you click an article, it opens in Facebook, it opens in the environment, doesn't take you to the site. Now that monetized better and it led to more page views because obviously Facebook wanted to keep readers in the environment. So if your content was successful, it would promote it even further. So we'd get these huge page view volumes and therefore revenue from instant articles. When they turned that off in March, it was it, it came at the same time that Google had changed their algorithms. And it was just, you just think, oh my goodness, like what are we going to do now? So it's very important to us to, it was very important to us at the time to, you know, make sure that we diversified our business. And this is how we're growing steadily in a healthy way now. Let's not be so reliant on Google and Facebook. Let's find other revenue streams and other traffic streams. So what we did over the last few years was alongside growing our Facebook and Google traffic and still focusing on them was develop more presence on third party platforms. So the likes of Apple, MSN, Reddit, etc. Mm. So if you look at the traffic that comes from our from those third party platforms now, it actually exceeds the at some some months it exceeds the site traffic. We've got this huge reach and it's global. So MSN is this global platform where hundreds of millions of people read our content every month. So, and, and that actually, the way that monetizes is that MSN will pay us by page view. So it's, it's been a very stable and interesting new revenue. Metro's parent company, Daily Mail and General Trust, or DMGT to give it its shortened version, has been looking to expand with a deal to buy the Telegraph, although there are many other bidders. This interest in the Telegraph has sparked concerns that any deal would give DMGT and Lord Rothermere too much influence in the UK and stifle competition, given the other brands that the company owns, including the Daily Mail, the Mail on Sunday, and of course, Metro. So, has Metro been better off as part of DMGT? The volatility of the industry, the difficulties that we faced over the years during the pandemic, the investment we've had into to, to social video and innovation as a group, I think you're protected somewhat from the external influences. You know, we can be much more innovative as a group when it comes to selecting how we're going to make those investments. How much independence do you both get from the from the group? Obviously, I'm in a commercial role, so it makes sense for me to be um, uh, working collaboratively with other commercial operators but Deborah, from an editorial point of view, enjoys complete editorial independence. Absolutely. I mean, we're fiercely apolitical, and I think the chairman's very, very protective over that as well. The chairman 
I mean, I've worked, as you know, I've worked in this building 25 years, I get almost 25 years. I've worked for all the titles almost in, in the group, the Daily Mail, London Light, Mail Online, now Metro. And every editor is trusted implicitly, you know, to, to run their team the way they see fit. And with Metro being an apolitical paper with a socially liberal audience, you know, it would be inappropriate for us to be drawn in either direction. And, and also, just to answer the question a bit more specifically, there, there's lots and lots of innovation in this organisation, you know, whether it's the way in which the New Scientist, which is a business that we've acquired fairly recently, whether it's the way in which New Scientists go about organising events, which is a significant um, revenue and profit generator for them, you know, through to some of the things that Mail Online can achieve with partners because of its enormous scale. Everybody uh, can benefit from those pockets of innovation. And, and we all work as a senior team across any of the brands. We all work very hard at propagating best practice and innovation and, and being part of an organisation which is family-owned, patient, big investors, uh, enormous lovers of news brands. It's a, it's a wonderful place to be. On um, the, the audience, uh, and you may not know the answer to this question, I'm just interested to know, what, how many of the audience, what proportion actually know that you are part of DMGT and that the male is, is a sister it's title? It's impossible to know, really. Very rarely do, does anyone make reference to it. They do make reference to it, but I don't think it's something that is necessarily a negative to our I readers. I think people in the industry worry about it more than people that read our products, frankly. I think providing we are providing engaging, trusted journalism, I just don't think it bothers the average person on the street in the way in which perhaps those that work in the industry fuss from time to time about such things. <laughs> do, you, do you think that's a challenge for the media industry more broadly that it can become very insular and it, and it focuses too much on itself rather than the actual markets trying to serve? I mean, just look at Twitter slash X. It's an echo chamber that makes your point quite neatly, doesn't it? What about the future then? Obviously, this the company, it's well known the company's interested in, in buying the Telegraph. Why would it be a, a good place for the Telegraph to be? You know, look, I can talk from some experience in, in this, in the sense that, um, you know, I, which was the, uh, which was acquired by DMGT in late 2019, I can talk in experience in the sense I was the managing director at the time and through to this year. And it is an environment that is family owned. The executive chairman is is passionate about news brands. He's a businessman at heart. He invests in the long term of news brands, and the my colleagues at the Eye have have, have benefited enormously from its ownership over the last few years um, for all the reasons I've just articulated. We're focused. Deborah and I are very much focused on Metro. Um, so don't really want to comment on on the Telegraph. But as I said, talking from experience about what I witnessed and 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 how I and the newspaper that I ran at the time or the news brand that I ran at the time benefited from its ownership. It's, it's been nothing but extraordinarily positive. To your point, it's, it's a family-owned business with a 130-year legacy in owning and growing newspapers. You know, they truly believe in the power of journalism, of storytelling and of developing products over, over a long period of time. And, you know, we mentioned pivoting earlier. You know, one thing that this business has shown is, is a really long, stable investment in in its products. Do you think the concerns about competition and one person having too much political influence are fair? I think I think the reality is that we are facing ferocious competition for eyeballs and that consolidation, therefore, is a good thing in order to provide 
these businesses um, much more sustainable financial footings so that they can continue to do what they do so well for many years to come. Do you think it's essential consolidation? Personally, yes. When you're talking to advertisers, what's sort of the mood amongst them about the economy, but also about the media industry itself? I think one of the challenges that we have with advertisers um, is that we are often talking to people who don't consume newspapers. So answering the question from a newspaper point of view, mm. they almost certainly will be consuming um, Metro.co.uk and Mail Online for sure and, and other uh, news brand websites. So they like to invest their clients' money uh, you know, in the areas where they think the audiences are and where they perhaps think there is a more measurable outcome. So the skill that our dedicated commercial team with Metro have to deploy every day of the week is more creative ways of telling the story about why Metro's audience is so valuable and why um, it should continue to be uh, invested in. I think what is, as Richard said, it's so important for them now to have the impact. And that's something that Metro does very well. I mean, we've always been quite innovative. I think we were first to market with the wrap, which has gone on to become one of our biggest, most lucrative formats. But now it's about uh, really getting close to the brands and talking to them about what their messaging is, what they want, to, what they want to achieve. So we can be much more disruptive and have more fun with it. So recently we spoke to Burger King, and it was the day that Boris was getting his grilling, and they wanted to place an, uh, an ad saying Burger King. There's no smoke without fire. Home of the proper whopper. And that went on the front page and it was it, it attracted so much attention. Thousands of people were tweeting about it, calling it, you know, a marketing genius, um, you know, best front page I've ever seen. It was held up on GMB and this morning. And it was one of those moments that was really great for the client and also really great for, for us, for Metro. And I think that's what we're trying to do more of at Metro is giving the clients license to, to have a bit more fun and make mischief sometimes if that's what they want to do and just make a splash whether that's in print or working with them on a more digital plus print offering. You know, social video is huge now. Clients always want to talk about, are you going to film that? And how can I tell my story on TikTok or on Facebook, but as well as in a great high impact print ad? What's the biggest challenge you both face today? What's the one thing sort of when you wake up in the morning, Richard, what's the one thing that is sort of you're thinking about what's top of your mind? It's always about innovative ways of telling the story about Metro and um, uh, how it shouldn't be tarnished with perhaps some of the preconceptions that other uh, news brands are and how it can continue to be at the vanguard of creativity around commercial execution. So Deborah just mentioned wraps for, for your audience's benefit if they don't know what a wrap is. It's when we mm. essentially hand over the front page, the inside front page, the outside back page and the inside back page to a to an advertising client in order that they can have one of the most impactful newspaper uh, creative executions in the market. And you know, we've done 55 wraps since relaunching in March. So we're wrapping very often. You know, these are not cheap formats for agencies. Um, but the reach, not just from the readership of Metro, but those who are not reading Metro that are around commuters reading it is, is enormous. You know, take Uber, for example. We recently run four wraps over a very short period of time. And we know the marketing director at Uber loves raps and is looking forward to talking to us about them again in the future. So. Does it annoy you that there's a degree sometimes of snobbery in the, in the media industry about Metro? What do you mean? Well, as in there's a, it, a misconception about how many people it 
reaches rather than being a sort of, let's say, a broadsheet, for example? Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not terribly conscious of such snobbery. <laughs> um, if it exists, then it's kind of, it's a bit misfounded, really. Um, you know, we take great care and attention at how we distribute our product. We have tiny return levels as a percentage of the overall number of copies we print every day. We're very scientific about where we put the copies. You know, we're very confident in the distribution number. It's audited. Um, and as I said earlier, yeah, if you look at its enormous reach and you look at how many readers it has in each of the demographic profiles, then it's you know eclipsing most of the competition. So there's not a lot to be snobby about or snobbish about. The proof about. is in the pudding. Yeah. People have continued to pick it up. You know, as you said, said earlier, it was a paper that was designed for people who don't read traditional paper, you know, the existing papers. And we're still filling that, that gap in the market today. What is the key in this market to a successful print product and for it to grow where possible and to thrive? I mean, put simply, Deborah might expand on this, but put simply, uh, we need to produce a product from an editorial content point of view that is interesting enough for people's habits to be maintained long into the future. Yeah, I mean, great storytelling, great front pages. Metro is known for its front pages. We, we don't take we don't take it any less seriously um, than any other newspaper in this business, Absolutely just because not. it doesn't have a cover price. Because you know, ultimately, Metro will continue to thrive in print for as long as uh, there's an audience and advertisers want to reach that audience. It's a fantastically experienced team who've been journalists for many, many years, you know, and um, they were very invested in, in the product. They're very invested in the title. And yeah, they're very proud of what they create. You've been listening to Business Leader with me, Graham Ruddick. Our producer is Anushka Tate. For more business news and analysis, you can check out businessleader.co.uk or sign up to our newsletter, Off to Lunch, at offtolunch.substack.com.